welcome to another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast with your hosts, Mike Gore, Jocelyn Gotto, and James Kazina. This podcast is an all-in-one devotional, essential for anyone trying to figure out how to follow Jesus in today's world. Each month, we'll release four different episodes, including stories from the field, preaching, and conversations with special guests. For more information, head over to opendoors.org.au or opendoors.org.nz. Here's today's episode. Well, welcome to Conversations at Open Doors, Benning. How are you? Uh, very good, thank you. It's um, great to great to be having a conversation. I was um, obviously we've had a conversation before on uh, in different ways, but I am new to Open Doors, and I heard that you aren't so new to Open Doors. You have been ambassador before, et cetera, et cetera. So it's kind of cool to know. And yeah, well, honestly, you know, one of the reasons why I am eager always to jump in and just um, be a part of what you guys are doing is because, especially in the Western Church as well, I can maybe speak for the American Church. I can speak for all of the American Church. Um, <laughs> Is, is that, you know, uh, the persecution that you guys are making the church aware of, I, I don't think it's something we talk much about. I think we maybe would kind of be aware, but not really the depths of it, or it's kind of somewhere else. And so I, I just think it's really important. You know, these, this, is, this is our family around the world, brothers and sisters. Oh. Yeah, I, I, I got to admit, I, was, I felt so naive walking into this role. Yeah. And the last few months of getting to know some of the um, the brothers and sisters around the world who have been or is still in persecution is been yes. mind blowing. To think yeah. of countries of India, think countries that we would consider now growing in Christianity, but yes. they're, they're still so on the front lines of this thing. And here we are sitting yes. in our Western comfortable yeah. offices and really trying yeah. to help the church go forward and learn from them as well. So yeah, absolutely. Much to learn. I agree so much, but um, you've just brought, I'll go with the elephant in the room. You've brought out a new book. Yes. Three mile walk. And the opening of it is Jonathan and his armor bearer. Yeah. 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 Um, what was your, when you, I mean, it's an old story. We've heard that from when we were in Sunday school and you do allude to being a Sunday school kid. Like I was, <laughs> um, you obviously heard that as a kid. Why, Go at it now. Uh, you know, I love, I'm really drawn to stories of courage. I'm drawn to stories of people stepping out. Um, and I really actually love Jonathan. This is a longer conversation, but Jonathan is such a great picture of what a healthy heart looks like. Yeah. And, um, and so I'm just probably drawn to Jonathan. Uh, how he did life was really, I think, healthy and powerful. But that story has been something since my youth pastor days that, man, just stirred my heart. Somebody that decided to get up and go do something about what God had told them and went and took a risk and stepped out, didn't know how it would end, but, you know, a whole nation uh, got behind it because of it. So for me, it's a really incredible picture as well. I think the, it, the, the story works well for me and what we're trying to do as well, because it's a contrast. Yeah. It's, it's, it's Saul who's okay sitting underneath a tree and is content not pursuing what God's called him to. And it's Jonathan who says, I've, I can't sit anymore. I've got to go. So I love the contrast of it too. I love that it's all about courageously going after the call of God in your life. And in the start of it, you talk about um, religious, religion, like the spirit, basically the spirit of religion, Yeah, which we can talk about that in America if we want to a little bit. You talk about um, yeah. the, the church celebrity per se. I would like, you yeah. kind of mentioned that. Then you talk about holiness and you're talking about being set apart. And I'm sitting yeah. there going like, you're wanting to hit some big topics real early. And I was like, <laughs> we're talking about the persecuted church and here they are. Um, I would suggest living out the, this separate set apart lifestyle. They're living out the yes. courageous lifestyle. And yeah. what have you learned? Would you say you've learned from the persecuted church to be able to bring to the American church? All the yeah, world, well, church, the church of the yeah. Western world. No, that's fantastic. I, I, I think that, um, you know, we said this a lot that many times if your Christianity hasn't cost you anything, um, it may not be worth anything. Now, we obviously know that Jesus paid the ultimate price, but sometimes we live in a comfortable Christianity where it, it just, you know, I can 
you know, I, I can just kind of be a social Christian. That's not an option for the persecuted church. The persecuted church doesn't have an option of, do I want to be a social Christian or not? You're either in or you're not. And if you're in, it's going to cost, it's, it's yeah. going to cost something. You have to count the cost. This is what Jesus talked about when he said, nobody sits down, you know, you've got to count the cost to follow me. And so there is a radical call. And sometimes in the Western church, we miss the radical call of Jesus to give it all, to lay it all down, to surrender everything, no matter what the cost. So sometimes we lose that where, where in areas where the church is persecuted that's just the lifestyle. That's not like, that's it. That is just the lifestyle. What did you call it? Situational atheism? Yeah. Yeah, totally. (laughs) You know, where it's like, I can kind of, I believe in God in moments other times not or whatever else. And so I just think that there's a lot to learn with that type of stuff. And, 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 you know, just a life that's set apart. Here's my life, God, whatever the cost is. So I think we have much to learn of what that looks like. And, and for us again as well, I think that we, the, the Western, I'm going to make, I actually say this, I hate broad statements, but I'm going to say broad statements right now. But the church yeah. is so diverse, even in the Western culture, that you can't make one statement to talk about the church. But having said that, I'm going to break my rule. That much of the Western church is just, um, we, we are impressed with things that Jesus isn't impressed with. So true. So we are just enamored with numbers. We're enamored with fame. We're enamored with all of this type of stuff. And we think Jesus is impressed by that, but he's not. He's, a, he's impressed by faithfulness. He's impressed by obedience. And this is the stuff we talk about, you know, the, and, and these are friends of mine who I love dearly. So it's not even if you know celebrities or not, I, I'm not even like, yeah. if that's what God's no. calling you to go for it. But, you know, we look at somebody who, you know, pastors a celebrity and we're so impressed that they're pastoring a celebrity as if that's somehow more impressive to Jesus than the, the missionary who sold everything oh. to move to India to sit with lepers that doesn't have a Twitter. <laughs> but that's the silliness of it, right? As if somehow Jesus is impressed with it. So, but we are, we're very impressed with it. It's crazy because so, I was chatting to a guy in, who, in um, a brother in India who's got a church conservatively of 1.2 million people, but you've never heard of him. Yeah, I know. Never yes. heard of him because, but he's set apart. Like the guy is set apart. We're talking yes. to him and he's crying because he's getting woken up by Jesus every morning. Yeah. And I'm like, the last time I was in America, I don't know if I spoke to a pastor who was getting, who was crying about waking up at 4am because Jesus tapped them on the shoulder. Yeah. No, you're You're right. And so, and I think there's just a, there's a purity of the, of the gospel. There's a radical call to Christianity. There's all that type of stuff that's out there that is kind of in those settings you're talking about. And I think we have a lot to learn from it. It's beautiful. There's, um, uh, Mike and I were chatting earlier this week and there's, um, there's four ways that the persecuted churches found to kill your church. I'd love to talk to you about them. And four have you comment? What? Four, four ways, ways uh, four ways to kill your church. To kill your church. Yeah. Look what at this. In, four ways? You know, it's got good when Banning's pulled out a pen. I, well, I'm, I'm, I want to write down the four ways. What are the okay. four ways? The first one is to mess with the message. Yeah, yeah. The second one is to compromise the community. Yeah. The third one is to support suffocating systems. Yeah. And four is to pr- promote paralyzing people. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Now, I want to have a chat about each one and talk about the Western church a little, talk about your story a little about how you got to Sacramento, talked about how you went from Bethel, a great church up in Northern Cal down, you walked, you came a little South, not too far South. Not too far South, but yeah, still Northern California. But you've pioneered. Yeah. And so you've pioneered Jesus culture. It was a, it was a youth ministry band. It was all these things. And, have you ever seen where the message has been messed with, where it's influenced what you've done or your churches around you? Have you ever, from the you just mean, watching, can you unpack that a little bit more? Yeah. So we find that when you start to mess with in the Chinese church in the underground church, they have to, there's the state church or there's the underground church. The state church basically does and says what the state oh, wants sure. them to say. 
and they've messed with the message. So they've, they haven't, they're not glorifying Jesus to be the, the supreme. They've got the, the government is the supreme and Jesus is just a little under because they have to have it that way. Yeah. So in the Western church, though, it's not the government that's doing that. In the Western church, it's our, um, it's our insecurity. And what I mean by that Ooh, is that's good. Um, we don't want to lose people. So the message gets messed with, and I wouldn't even say the message, I would say it's just an incomplete message. You know, we would have that phrase, the full gospel, you know, like that would be a Pentecostal phrase. It's been around a long time. I was was thinking that it could be the assimilation programs that we have now instead of the discipleship programs. Yeah. Yeah. And, and mainly, well, well, here's, here's an example. So, well, this, this would be what I would say. It's, it's that, I'm, I, I don't want to, if I'm an insecure leader, I don't want people to leave my church. So I need to make sure, uh, like one of the things we don't understand about Jesus is Jesus made it easy for people to leave and hard for them to stay. Mm-hmm. I, he would have 15,000 people on a hillside. I mean, this is the pinnacle, right? I put on a conference of 15,000 people I have reached some uh, summit somewhere in my Christian life. And um, he'd have 15,000 people on a hillside and then he'd get up and say the most offensive thing. He wouldn't (laughs) explain it either. He'd just say, if you want to have a part of me, then you have to drink my blood and eat my flesh. Can you imagine getting up and saying that at Jesus Culture Conference or my city conference? (laughs) And he wasn't like, hey guys, like it's, 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 it's it's metaphorical. It's actually, you know, uh, he would just get up and they would all leave. It was too hard. It was too offensive. So they would just leave. And um, so, so Jesus was actually made, he made it hard to stay and easy to leave. Yeah. And I think we have to recognize sometimes that sometimes we're really trying to make it easy to stay. And, and, how, do and, you and avoid what, that? how do you avoid that as a preacher? Well, I think this, I think that if we, our goal our goal is not just a crowd. Our goal is mature believers. We've got mm-hmm. to get mature believers. So what happens is, is we fall into the trap of consumerism. Now, let me just start by saying this, and I'll tell you this story, but I, I love consumerism, love consumerism. I am grateful that there are people sitting around somewhere trying to figure out how to make my life easier. Yep. Like, I love that they're sitting around, like, I love that Google and all these companies are going, how can we make Banning's life easier? I love that somebody sat there and thought about how to make my, like, I don't even have to go to the grocery store anymore. I can order online, pull up, and they'll bring it to me. But the consumerism, at the root of consumerism is this concept. They're trying to remove the struggle. So they're trying to remove all obstacles so that you will shop at their place and spend money. So if, if there's two coffee shops and they're both doing business, one day one of the owners of the coffee shop sees a guy get out of his car, walk in, order the coffee, wait for the coffee, get the coffee, go back out to his car. And he goes, I think I can eliminate some of the struggle. I'm going to put a drive through in. Mm-hmm. So he puts a drive through in. And he puts a drive through in because he's trying to get more people to spend money. So now people are going to this coffee shop because he's made it easier. Yep. My point is this, is when we approach believers like that, when we approach believers like, I'm going to try to make Christianity as easy as possible. I'm going to try to remove all struggle because oh. I want you to attend this church and, and work and we're competing with. So I'm trying to get you to get, so I'm going to make, I'm going to make community and prayer and generosity and fi- like, and so I'll tell our church, all guys, guys, if you're looking for community to not be a struggle, I don't know what to like, like community <laughs> is a struggle. Yeah. Like you got to walk through it and it's messy and it's offensive and it's hard and it doesn't work out all the time. And like, but we're trying so hard to go. We've organized everything in such a way where there's no struggle at all involved. And, and so the point of that is that then that's what happens. We, we, we have people that are confused when there's struggle involved in their Christianity. So when you're talking about messing with the message, we're going like, I'm going to try to remove the struggle part of the message. I'm going to remove that struggle part of the message. And we're, because, you know, we want you to stay here. And that's the part where I think we're actually doing people a disservice because we are, we're, if, if we do that, we're reproducing immature believers because the struggle is one of the things that actually causes maturity. Do you think that the, the message has become more watered down over the last 
15, 20 years that we've been in ministry, I mean, you've probably learned a few more years than I have now, but do you think I it has think, got more water I down? Think, or? I, think it's a, I think it's this pendulum that swings, to be honest with you. I mean, I look back at some of the older messages and they were like, no grace in them. Because <laughs> you're talking about, but you mentioned holiness in Three Mile Walk. Yeah. And but, that would be a controversial message to preach in this day and age. But yet the way yeah. you've paraphrased it and put it is so gracious in it. It's not talking about legalism. Because yeah, well, a lot totally. of, I would suggest when I listened to holiness growing up, it was legalistic. Yes, absolutely. And yes, we would and say, we all be legalism. So sometimes when you say, are we watering it down? I'm like, sometimes it's like, it's this extreme over here and, and hardcore and all that, and, and no grace involved and legalistic and, 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 and externally motivating people. But then it kind of sometimes swings over to here where it's like, there's nothing required out of your life and yep. you know, you're fine if you do whatever. And, and so I, I, I do think we have to, at the end of the day, I just think we just need to preach, just preach the Bible, oh. uh, just, just preach the Bible and, and uh, that's our job. And, and holiness is a good example. I grew up in holiness where it was just so legalistic. It was yeah. so, it was, it was a list of do's and don'ts and more don'ts than do's and not realizing that. Like, so here's what I would say. The Christian life is a radical, radical call to follow Jesus. And it requires you um, denying yourself. It requires you giving up things. It requires you sacrifice. Like it's a radical call to follow Jesus. But if we don't, can, but that radical call apart from intimacy oh. doesn't work. And so, so the, the, the goal is the call is radical. Yes, but it's all fueled by love. And the illustration I would use is I, when I, right, right before I got on full-time ministry at 19, I was part of a painting crew. And I hated it. I got paid. I got paid to be on this painting crew, but it was horrible. I got yelled all the time. I didn't, I had to tape things and I was the grunt and I hated it. I did not want to do it. But if my dad asked me right now, Hey, can you come over on a Saturday and help me paint? I'd love to be great. I'd go over. I would do the exact same thing. I hated doing yep. over here. And I would love it because I'm doing it with my dad and it's relational. Yeah. So, so we can do things out of duty or we can do things out of relationship. Yeah. And that's, that's what we're trying to talk about right there. Yeah. Number two is compromise to the community. The example of it would be in Russia, they would plant spies in the, inside the community of the believers to try and um, pull them apart and talk negative about the senior pastor and just try and bring down the community. And they'll compromise it and like separate it so they'll against each other. Would probably in the Western church call it uh, church splits, which we've seen yeah, through yeah. churches. But they'll compromise it. Um, when you you've left some places and you've started new churches, you've done a whole lot of things. What when you look at the the story of the compromising of the community? Can you see how is it play in American churches at general? Yeah, well, what I would say is, well, there's two things I'd say. One, I won't elaborate on, but I think we need to learn again what the concept of covenant is Ooh. and what a covenantal community is. I think that people that scares people because there's abusive leaders out there. Mm -hmm. And so they do not want to talk about covenantal community because what if the leader's abusive? And and listen, I I am I am not for sticking with abusive leaders. I'm not for allowing yourself to be, you know, spiritually and all that stuff. But, but I think we need to learn again what covenant means. But, um, but I think well, for John, us, Jonathan, Jonathan had a covenant with his armor bearer. You, you do bring that up. Yes. In three, and, that, and that was because it was a healthy heart. Yeah, it was a healthy heart. Yes, absolutely. It was, hell, it, was, it was powerful people engaged, not one powerful person and one. And abusive situations are one powerful person and one not powerful person. And I like but, what but you, you do say he, Jonathan looks at his armor bearer and the armor bearer says, I'm with you heart and soul. Yeah, 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 and, yeah is a good example of it, I think, because that doesn't, you can't compromise that relationship. Yeah. And what I would say about compromising community would be this. I would say that you're in danger when you begin to diminish the role of community. So I would say this, there's two guardrails in your life that when they are there, you are free to run and you are safe. It is the word of God. It is scripture and it is community. And almost every time that I see somebody um, that gets in trouble, 
with their with they they you know they they fall away from the faith whatever else it's because they began to either diminish scripture it's no longer it's no longer the authority in their life they no longer or they begin to diminish community and mm-hmm. pride and independence and this type of stuff. So, so those two things have to be in our life and we have to fight. They have to be non-negotiables. And I've talked to a lot of people about community and I'm like, I understand you've been hurt by community. I really do. But because you've had a bad experience in community doesn't mean that you now, like I, you know, you, you ever had a meal that you got food poisoning in? Uh, in all <laughs> honesty, like you ever had a meal that I, you know, we got a meal and just puking our guts yeah. out. Our whole family was horrible. Uh, but I didn't like give up on the concept of food. Yep. I, I was able to separate that meal doesn't define all food for me. Yep. I mean, I, I can do that with food. Like, and so I didn't say, well, I will never again eat food again because I've had food before and food made me throw up everywhere. So I will <laughs> never have food again. Of course, we don't do that. We actually know how to separate off that experience that yep. it doesn't define the rest of food. And so I tell this with people with, with whatever it is, generosity or community or whatever else. I understand you've been hurt by community. I really do. But you can't define all of community or you can't define your theology based around that experience. As a senior leader, you- You've been hurt. Yes. And, and you, you have a choice of offense. Either yes. I'm, going to aff- I'm going to be offended and live this out or I'm going to r- remove the offense and I'm going to continue to love. And I think it's, we talk about how we've got to love more than the lie. Yeah. And, yeah. and this generation, we've got a whole lot of people who um, get lied to and they move on way too quick and they church hop or they Zoom hop these days. So. We've got to love, and I would say this, we've got to love more than the fear because it's all based in fear. There's yeah. that, that fear that gets in there and, and it just steals from us. Yeah, I love that. Because it, that was what uh, Mike was saying, and we're talking about the church in Iran. And the church in Iran, what they would do is they would, make, they would take one of their church leaders, they would arrest them, take them, keep them for three days, and they wouldn't hurt them. They would give them cups of tea and take care of them. They would then send them back to the community and the people would say, well, what do they do to you? And they'd be like, they didn't do anything. And now they're compromising what they thought their attackers would do. So, yeah. So and so they're trying to change this thing. And so the, they would then start to compromise. Well, is he lying to me or is he telling me the truth? Yeah. Is he, yeah. And I feel that like, the church is like that around the world. We yeah. just do it differently in the West. Yeah. Well, it's um, all, I mean, at, at the end of the day, it's lies that begin to get in, that, that plant seeds and they begin to divide. It's almost always, if there's a division happening, lies are happening. When you look at Saul's life, where do you think the, the lie started to seep in? Well, I think he was an insecure individual. So you, I, think he, I, I think he was an insecure individual that didn't know, you know, that, that didn't find his confidence in God and was always trying to prove himself and needed the approval of man and, so and when you've never gotten, felt like he measured up. So Jonathan had an insecure leader and father became out with a heart that was healthy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can you break that down? What are you, what so do you did think? David, though. I mean, so did it's David. True. Lots of times people are like, man, my leader is the worst. I'm like, oh, did they try to kill you today? Did they try to kill you? Because that's David's leader. Literally tried to kill him and chased him, and he still honored him. So um, how, do you do, how do you do that? What do you, I, mean, I mean, how do you do that? Because you've had to do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, well, when it comes to honor, when, when it comes to honor and the way that David honored a bad leader is honor isn't dependent on the other person. I am honorable. Therefore I honor, uh, honor is not connected to the, to the fact of, um, what you do. So, so, so I can honor, I can honor by not agreeing either. I can honor by not, uh, um, you know, um, Commending, but but yeah, uh, we honor because that's who who we are. And and the Bible says to honor all men. The Bible says to honor. You know, when Peter talks about that, honor all men and honor the king, honor the emperor. He's talking about Nero. Wow. He, he's talking. He's talking about the one that 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 started the the radical persecution of the church. This is what started it all. Was this guy? Yep. And would hang up Christians as human torches in his garden at night, that's the guy that Peter's saying we're to honor. And, and Paul, and, you know, history tells us that Paul and Peter both were martyred by him. So there's no, like, like, 
there, we, we don't get to decide who we honor and don't honor. I, I don't get to decide who I honor and don't honor. We're called to honor all men. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what honor means is, it, again, it doesn't mean that I, I can't disagree with them. It doesn't mean that I'm saying what they're doing is right, but I can see them from God's perspective. And that's what honor really is about. Honor is about seeing them from God's perspective. Yeah. So number three. Support suffocating systems. Uh, Common in places like Egypt, where the government would drown the church in legislation, paperwork, which ultimately stops um, the going forward of the the work because they're just too much. Yeah. How do you see that kind of play out? that we, we get so caught by this evangelism or the way that we have to do it or the attractional nature of the church or the, like the convenience of the parking lot, like these systems that could so easily suffocate us. I mean, you're in California. Yeah, there's a book. Um, uh, I'm going to butcher it. I actually have it right here. It's, um, I'm going to say, uh, Poise for the Harvest guy named Miller. And so forgive me for this. Cause I haven't actually read the thing. I just, I I've yeah. got to sit on my desktop to read it, but he talks about how, how, what do you do with discipleship when the system's disrupted? And if I remember right, this guy would go into a Muslim country and he only has a few weeks. So he goes in there, find somebody, gets them saved. And the point is, what do you do when you don't have the systems in place and you just have a few weeks to disciple this guy and then you're gone. And I think that one of the things that COVID has done for us is it has stripped us of things that we have felt were important that weren't. And, 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 I, and, it, and it's exposed some things. So I was on a youth pastor, I was a youth pastor conference I was on, and I was on it recently. And one of the questions was to, the, to one of the youth pastors was, how are you reaching kids now that you can't gather? And they were wanting all these creative ideas of <laughs> what are you doing online and all that type of stuff. And I just thought, how has COVID stopped your strategy for reaching kids if it's kids reaching kids? Like, isn't our job to disciple teenagers yep. and then those teenagers are reaching their friends? And guess who's still connected with one? The youth pastor may not be connected anymore, but guess who's still connected over Snapchat and Instagram and on like is teenagers with teenagers. Yep. But it exposed something. It exposed that we believe we're called to reach people by putting on a gathering that we invite them to. And the minute I can't do that, I don't know how to reach you. When really we're called to be equipping people to reach their community around them. Uh And so I think that, I think that we do have to look at a bunch of stuff. And I think that right now is a good time to do it. That, that, you know, when the systems get disrupted, I find out quickly what works and what's not working. And, and what my philosophy is. And I think it's not like, well, we're going to go online now. We're going to see if we can attract everybody to us online. Yep. I'm like, or you can continue to equip the people that you've been equipping to reach the people that they're called to reach because that hasn't stopped. Really interesting. I, I, I was with my, um, I've got a 14-year-old. It's my eldest. Uh, what's, your young, what's your youngest? 14. He turns 14. 15 next month. Yeah. So he, um, Zion's 14 and we're just chatting. And I, I asked him at the start of the year when we all had to lock down, hey, do you know how to read your Bible? Because we've been, a, I'm a pastor. I, yes, uh, no, totally. Uh, and, and he yeah. goes, I, I don't know how to read my Bible. Wow. And I went, hold, hold on, you don't know. So I, I taught him how to soap it, like a scripture, observation, yeah, application, prayer. I yes. sat down with him and, and I left it with him and went, I'll, I'll check in every now and then because I don't want to be too forceful as a yeah. parent because I don't want to create a yeah. system where he doesn't want to do this thing. Yeah. And then all of a sudden about, Two months ago, he's like, Dad, I'm missing church because it was a system that we had. I said, so what yes. are you doing to build yourself? Are you still reading your Bible? Because I'm not reading it. So yeah. we've taught you. So now what are you going to do? When the yeah. system gets stripped away, what are you like? It was the thing that was his crutch holding him up. Yeah. And, and I was like, what, this is what happens is many times because it's happening around us, we mistakenly think it's happening in us. Mm. And so, so just because I'm worshiping corporately on Sunday doesn't mean I'm worshiping individually on Tuesday. Totally. And so, so I think that this is that time where we were able to go, oh, um, what was happening around me hasn't been happening in me. I've got to get this happening in me. This is why I think we're going to come back as a church corporately and just power is going to be released. I love because your word I awakening. That, I think there could be that awakening. as you Yes, said. I agree. I think that because I think that people are – 
people are um, getting strengthened individually and they're saying, I don't just want worship to be happening around me. I want it to be happening in me yep. every day. And therefore I'm going to go after that. And when that comes back together, it's something special. And the reason I say it is because the last three, two months, Zion's woken up 6am yeah, to read his Bible without me, sets his alarm, then goes and w- tries to start trying to make some muscles that he doesn't ha- won't get for a while yet. He's trying to make them, but he's like, I'm going to read my Bible before I do that. And I was like, it took the system being ripped away. Yeah. For him to do actually... It. Do you know what he's doing? He's learned how to dig his own wells. Yeah. And, and that's what Jacob had to learn. Jacob had to take care of his father's wells. He had to make sure that his father's wells were still intact, but he had to go learn to dig his own wells. But and I, got, I think got that- got me excited because it's, it's going to be- yes. just, It gets me excited to think that there is still, I mean, apart from he's my son, I went, there's young people out there still yes. who yes. are going to do some digging. Yeah. So imagine, you know, a, youth, a hundred of him- Oh. Coming back together, yeah, with that new depth in them. That's powerful. That would be fun. I, I would love yeah. to be the youth pastor again, but I'm too yeah. old. Nah, yeah, we're all too old. If, number four. Let me is po- promote paralyzing people. The underground church in China said the single most paralyzing person to a church is the charismatic leader, as they make the church more about themselves than they do about Christ. So your book talks about the internal and the external. We have, we have nothing to learn from the persecuted church at all. <laughs> nothing. That, <laughs> nothing. They are saying all. that you've, and you use, you allude in your book, the three mile walk to the external church and the, or the inter, the external heart and the internal heart and the external way yeah. we walk it out in the internal way. Yeah. What, have, what, what do you see when, when you look at, the journeys we're, we're taking, the, the, the stories we're telling, the way that we're living it out, where does the journey need to go for us to live this out and not well, promote paralyzing people? Yeah, I think it's a holy, I, I think we have to be spirit led. And I think that we use that phrase a lot, but we're not spirit led. We're, we're kind of, um, you know, it's got to be the right speaker in the right setting in, in whatever else. And what does really spirit led look like to you? It's an internally driven life. Uh, I mean, the spirit of God lives inside of me, and am and and am I living from the inside out? Do, does it does it take external things? Does it take external things to motivate me? Do I need a really great sermon to motivate me? Do I need shame and guilt to motivate me? Do I need pain to motivate me? These are all things that are external. Or do I allow the spirit of God to birth a vision in my heart to lead me? Like, so, you know, do you get up in the morning to pray because you feel guilty and because your pastor said, if you don't, you're not a good Christian. Or do you get up in the morning to pray because the spirit is leading you and you're following. And so it's just, it's, it's the it's the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant is an externally motivated covenant and an internally motivated covenant. But you've got the spirit of God inside of you, and um and and so allowing him to lead. It's your your son's doing it right now. Even in getting in the word, he's just saying, I'm gonna allow the spirit of God to lead me in this moment. I'm gonna allow the spirit of God as I open up the word, he's sitting there with the spirit of God. Yeah. Spirit of God is leading him and he's allowing the spirit of God to stir something inside of him where he says, I don't need external motivation to get up and read. I'm going to begin to do that. And uh, so that's what it looks like. I feel like it's a coming back to a centered, bringing Christ back to the center of, of somebody. I feel that this whole taking away of the four walls of the church, which we've had for so long has yeah. almost put the Bible back to center of us. Yeah. Which yeah. um, think think about that. Yeah, I I know I, I, I I'm guilty. I'm an evangelist who preaches all around the world, and, and yeah. I would say that this has brought me back to center as well. So, when you're preaching and you're teaching and you're you're doing things, how do you stop from saying like or even leading? How do you stop from trying to be that charismatic leader per se? Well, I, because so, so I, I've always seen you as that guy who's kind of against the grain with it a little as well. Yeah, because Ephesians 4, my job is just to equip people. 
Um, so, so I'm called to equip them. I'm called to encourage them. I'm called to help them mature, to look like Jesus. I'm not called to make a name for myself. I'm not called to draw them to me. I'm, I'm not called, I'm just called to love them and serve them by equipping them and encouraging them and and helping them mature. And so I, I think if we can, I think if we can just get some of that type of stuff down where I just recognize what my job is. Yeah, uh, we used to all the time Jesus culture, especially when Jesus culture, the music was at its height. We'd be around the world, man. I mean, just thousands and thousands of people would be. We're, we're Brazil and Colombia and 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 all of you know Australia and all over the world, and and they would just be. And I would just tell our team, guys, listen, we have one goal tonight, and and if if people leave tonight talking about their favorite worship leader, if people leave tonight talking about the stage and lights, if people leave, leave tonight talking about the worship music, we haven't done our job. Mm. The only way this is successful tonight is if people leave talking about Jesus, if they're more in love with Jesus, if they were drawn closer to Jesus, if they leave talking about us or anything we're doing, then we have failed in what we're trying to do. So I think it's just that realization, the realization that I don't, I, I mean, if, if people are talking about me, I'm not doing my job. I, you know, I, I think that people need to be talking about Jesus and they need to fall deeper in love with Jesus. At the end of the day, here's the other thing we recognize. I've never preached one sermon that has set people free. It's true. It is, it is the presence of God that sets people free. The only thing I have to offer them is obviously opening the word up in truth, but it's it's an encounter with his presence. It's, it's an encounter with truth. So I'm like, there's never been one program I've built that's changed somebody's life. There's never been one sermon. There's never been one idea. It is the presence of God. Moses recognized this. He says, if you don't come with us, we're like everybody else. Like it is the presence of God that changes lives. Not my presence. It's not my presence that changes lives. It is God's presence that changes lives. So I'm trying to get people, I'm trying to introduce them. You know what an intercessor is? The word intercessor is actually, is kind of, is, is, um, it's the picture of a secretary who sets up appointments. Mm-hmm. So it's this, it's, it's uh, an intercessor is somebody who sets up an appointment. And so if I called and I said, Hey, you know, I got all your secretary and say, and the secretary would say, okay. Or the assistant um, would say, uh, okay, I'm going to set up this time. And they set up an appointment for us to meet. That's our job. Like our job is just this. I'm just trying to set up an appointment for you and God to connect. Yeah. Like that's the goal. And so in my preaching, in my help, prayer. How do we help the, the leaders in the generation under us? Or I suppose I'm a little under you. That would be my, like I looked up to you as a, as a youth pastor. So I'll just say no. Um, how do we help leaders who want to be charismatic, cool, Instagram famous? How do we help them? do that uh, it's it's purely for me it's a, it's an insecurity issue so for me what happens is because we um this is the jonathan and david story for me i mean just jonathan and saul we've allowed insecurity to remain in our life and and many people in ministry are driven by insecurity and yep. insecurity looks like this insecurity is Ultimately, our security should be in Jesus. Our identity is found in Jesus. So it's like Jesus and nothing else, and I'm secure. The problem is, is insecurity says, well, it's Jesus, and I need some other things. I need people to like me. I need followers. I need a certain number on Sunday. I need whatever else. And so if we don't, if we are not vigilant around the issue of the insecurities in my life, and even for me right now as a pastor, listen, I have a heart, I have a passion for souls. I want people to get saved. But do you understand that my emotional state connected to a number on Sunday has nothing to do with my passion for souls? It's my insecurity. Yeah. I, I, it's like if I'm not doing well on Monday because it was lower numbers on Sunday, it's not because of my passion for souls. It's because I'm insecure. And I just stop and say, God, I don't want to have to have something else. To make me secure. My identity is found in you. I am secure. I, Jesus and Jesus only, I need nothing else. I don't need book sales. I don't need Instagram followers. All of that I count as garbage 
compared to just knowing you. And so whenever I'm feeling that insecure, and then here's the crazy thing. The insecurity that I'm dealing with is not about the people that are at my church. It's about other leaders. So I recognize, oh, God, I want the approval of other leaders. I like my people. What do they know? They're there. You know, we got three services. They sit in their service. They don't know how many show up on a Sunday. Yeah. They're at their service and loving it, enjoyed it. And great. They love me and they love the church, you know. But if the numbers are lower and I am messed up, I have to stop and go, Jesus, I I, I, I am not okay with just your approval. Yeah. I am somehow needing other leaders to approve of me and be impressed. And so I have to, but here's what you got to be vigilant around this thing and just say, Jesus, forgive me for that. I want my security in you only. And I, I find this, man, I find this, I'll pray what Paul prayed. We said, God, Jesus, I want to know you. I count everything else as garbage all the stuff that i the approval of leaders book sales numbers all of it's garbage all of it's garbage compared to knowing you and and so i have to constantly just bring myself back to that thing and say jesus i just want my identity to be found in you i don't want to be found in anything else and i don't need something else to be secure so here's what i'm saying the way that we help the younger generation of leaders is we have we have got to not applaud insecurity. Oof. We have got to not applaud insecurity. Well, what begins to happen is, is we begin to post numbers and we begin to post all this stuff and we begin to post and we're just like, that's a man. And, and I get it. Right? So we're not going to call each other out on social media. That's not my point. But where are the fathers that go, hey, man, where's that coming from? Yeah. Like, where's that coming from? Because there are, there are, there are, and this is again and again, we see it is in, in the, in the, in the American church, we've got, we've got leaders that are ending wrong. They're falling. We've got young leaders that are burning out or committing suicide or leaving mm-hmm. their church or having an affairs. And it's all because we've been driven by unhealthy motivations and nobody has stopped and said, dude, is that healthy? And the problem in the church is, is you can be so driven and everybody just applauds you. Man, that's amazing how driven you are for the gospel. And you end up, and you end up at that cliff. Yes, and nobody goes, hold on a second. Are you being driven by healthy things or are you being driven by insecurity? So how, do we, so how, how do we get rid of the insecurity? I, I know you say come back to just it's a Jesus thing, but give me three practicals. I, I just have to, I mean, uh, I don't have to, you got to get with Jesus. His, you, his, you've got a his, book full of practicals. Yeah, his opinion has to matter more than anything else. I just have to get with Jesus and I have to understand that this is going to hurt me. Like, like we look at other leaders. I'm looking at leaders that are falling because oh. they are driven by insecurity and something inside of me says, yeah, but that's not me. Yep. I'm like, I, I, I'm different than that. These are men that were greater than I am. <laughs> These are men that loved Jesus. These are, right? These aren't like evil men. Oh. And I just have to say, God, I, I so, so one, you, here's, here's three practicals. I'm going to give you three practicals you ask. I'm going to make them up right now. One is this. You've got to be honest. We are not honest enough. Stop long enough to be honest with yourself that some of the things that are driving you are not actually healthy motivations. They're insecurity in there. They're your need for approval and your need for significance. Mm-hmm. So stop and be honest long enough. Then second thing is every time you see that thing pop up, you got to go get with Jesus. Yep. I don't beat myself up that somehow I still am looking for approval. I just go to the Lord and I just say, God, I, I still am looking for the approval of men. I, and, and it's there. And so, God, I just pray you come and, and just sanctify, transform my life. God, you come and just do a work in my heart where I can find that all I need is your approval. That's it. That's all I need. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then I think the third thing is this. You have to redefine success. Beautiful. So you've got to be honest yeah. with yourself. You've got to be honest with yourself. Whenever that thing pops up, you've got to go get with Jesus and ask him to do work. But then you've got to redefine success. Because if success is anything other than faithfulness and obedience, yep. then you're in trouble. And that's why we can say that, that, that missionary sitting with lepers in India that nobody else knows 
um, they are so successful because they're being obedient and faithful. Yeah. And, um, and we just have to, and that has to be how we define success. And if we define success in any other way, then we're in trouble. So we are mid COVID and a lot of the securities that majority of our friends had has been ripped away from them. They're, churches, their church community in front of them because it was about bums on seats. Uh, those sort of things have been taken away. What does it look like as maybe we don't get to come back for another year into buildings together? Are we going to be fatigued? Are we going to be, um, is it going to look different in the building? Is it going to be, uh, is persecution on the rise in America? Yes or no? You can like, what do you think with all these sort of little things? I did. I think it's a, I think that's a tough question to answer for the American church because um, what we view as persecution because of our disconnect from what's really happening around the world. It's just a word that I wouldn't throw around lightly. Um, I, I would say that I'm concerned about uh, religious freedom, freedom of speech, these type of things. As we see those things deteriorating in other nations, it, it absolutely affects the churches of the, you know, the, the church. So um, um, Paul did say persecution isn't a bad thing though. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, whatever that looks like. Yeah. Whatever that looks like. And, and whether that's an, yeah, individually or whatever else. Yeah. yeah. And obviously the church in, I mean, the church in China is one of the greatest church movements in the world, you know, yep. and in Iran and in everywhere else. I mean, India, the church, is ex- like- the church is exploding in those areas. And again, I think that at some level, um, you know, I mean, the persecution of the early church caused it to spread. There just is a, this has happened actually in America. And, and some people were freaking out because all of a sudden there's less people saying they're religious or whatever, or they're Christians. But what's interesting is I'm like, no, nah, I don't know if they were Christians before. It was just a social thing. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not downplaying their Christianity. I'm just saying people just would relate socially to it. Yep. Well, now Christianity starting to cost you something. I love it. You, you can't just be part of the social club now. Yeah. It's not quite as looked upon as like back in the fifties, like, yeah, everybody goes to church and we all did this. And we all just said we were Christians, even though we may not live as a Christ follower. Yeah. Well, now people don't feel the pressure to have to say they're a Christian more because it's not quite looked on as with the esteem or the pressure. Yep. And so my point is in these other countries, I, <laughs> you know, there's not a lot of middle ground. Mm-hmm. You're in or you're out. There's not. And if you're, you know, so I think that, when you're talking about persecution, some of the persecution makes you determine, is this, is this who I am or not? Yeah. And so we're going to come back soon. What do you think it looks like? What do I think? What do you think church church looks looks like like on the other side of this? I have no idea. I think uh, I would say this. I think the church looks more mature. This is what I would say. I think the church looks more mature. And I think that the church um, uh, will be pruned. And I think that anytime there's pruning, it's because growth is about to happen. So I think that there's a pruning happening. I think that there's a maturing happening. You know, the verse that we've been praying a lot is just out of a song, Solomon 8, where it says, who is this coming out of the wilderness leaning on her beloved? And I think we're going to come out of the wilderness with a greater dependence and love for Jesus. And I think we're going to see a, I think we're going to see a church with a greater resolve for revival. I think we're going to see a church that has a deeper level of maturity. Uh-huh. I think we're going to see a church that it has been pruned and gone through the fire. You know what's happening right now is there's a fire happening that's removing all man-made structures. So at all man's efforts that cannot stand in the fire, that is wood, that is hay, and that is straw. Wood, hay, and straw, which represents man's efforts, mm-hmm. which rep- represents man's structure. Those things are being uh, put in the fire, and you know what's going to come out the fire? Gold, silver, precious metals, the, the, the things of God are going to get through this thing. And so I think we're going to come out refined. I think we're going to come out leaning on uh, Jesus. I think we're going to come out without the, the man-made efforts have been yeah. burned away, and all that remains is God. So I think it's, we're going to come out strong, I am. and there is going to be an awakening. Last question is. Why do you think that supporting open doors in the persecuted church is necessary for the church at large? Well, one, I think that we have a lot to learn. Um, so I, I, I th- there's a few reasons. One, I think we do have a lot to learn. I think there is a strength um, that can come 
from actually just supporting and, and being with them. But, but also at the end of the day, we have to care. We have yeah. to care about our brothers and sisters. And it's so easy to live in California and go, that's oh, not really my problem. Um, but, but that is my problem. <laughs> that's, that's, that's my family. Those are our, those are our brothers and sisters. And um, they are on the front lines in a way I'm not on the front lines. They are on the front lines in the, in the earth. And so I just think it's very, very important. And, and obviously, the, listen, the Bible also actually puts a value on martyrs and this type of stuff. The, the Bible actually puts a value on it. Yeah. There is real clear stuff about how the Lord sees, you know, and, and I'm talking about martyrs, obviously, those have lost their yeah. life through persecution, which is what's happening around the world. It's not just you can't meet. People yep. are losing their lives. They're losing their life. And the Bible actually does make a real distinction. The, the Bible actually highlights that. It is something that is on the heart of God. It is something that he pays attention to. In the same way that he pays attention to the orphan and the widow, therefore we pay attention to the orphan and the widow, the, the martyrs and persecuted church is something that is on the heart of God that he highlights and says we, we need to care about. Well, Benning, thank you. Your um, book, Three Mile Walk. I know that it came out on um, Blackout Tuesday, so great day to bring it out. But um, I am worst day to bring it out. But yes, but I I know that I am pumped for it and excited by reading it, and it's blessing me. But I know others will. But thank you for what you do for the church. Thank you for what you do across the a younger generation for encouraging us yeah. all. Thanks. Obviously, little youth pastors in Australia who now are doing things around the world because some people believed in us. So thank you so much, and awesome. um, looking forward to being back in Sacramento soon. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Pleasure, man. We'll speak to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Open Doors Live podcast with your hosts, Mike Gore, Jocelyn Gotto, and James Kazina. We hope the life-changing stories and lessons from the persecuted church help you follow Jesus, no matter the cost. To find out more, head over to opendoors.org.au or opendoors.org.nz. I'm your producer, Bethany Ross, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast.